0: Jeffrey White Jr. is a third generation waterman living and working on the eastern shore of Maryland, where he's been catching and selling the Chesapeake Bay's iconic blue crabs and oysters for nearly 40 years. The watermen rely on selling their fresh catch from the Chesapeake Bay to support themselves and their families each day, and although it's a humble living, it's more of a way of life for those who call the bay home. Unfortunately, in recent years, watermen have been taking a hit as they find themselves at the mercy of the bay's declining health and its toll on the aquatic life, greatly reducing catch quantities. This is compounded by moratoriums and legislature passed by well-intending environmental groups working to clean the bay that unfortunately come at the expense of their livelihoods. This is Jeffrey White.
1: I mean, you're not going to get rich on the water, but one of the things about being out on the water is you have so much freedom. In
0: 2015,
1: the United States'
0: largest estuary, the Chesapeake Bay, received its highest overall quality score since 1986 from the University of Maryland's Center for Environmental Science. This score, despite being one of its highest since its first water quality report, was a 53 on a 100-point scale, or a C on a letter scale. This concerningly low score indicated that the bay was still very polluted and contaminated despite a recent upward trend. The average American living on the Chesapeake Bay experiences this effect of the bay's pollution in the physical appearance and color of the water, or the occasional skin irritation from bacteria or pollutants. However, it's the small town working class fishermen and oyster farmers along the eastern shore of Virginia and Maryland that endure the brunt of the adverse environmental and economic effects of a polluted bay. These working-class, independent fishermen, crabbers, potters, and oystermen, known colloquially as watermen in the area, rely on selling their catch from the bay to support themselves and their families each day. Over the past decade or so, watermen like Jeffrey have experienced firsthand the effects of the Chesapeake's poor health and water quality, as well as the political fallout from groups trying to clean up the bay and protect its most heavily impacted species. The overall health of the Chesapeake Bay is incredibly important to not only their way of life, but their ability to continue providing for their families. Being a waterman is not just a job for these men and women. It's a way of life and an identity that runs generationally through families.
1: I'm probably part of the last old school generation there was, where we were taught, the growing, 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 and growing, and you keep going. You just keep going to work, you look for a profit. If you only make fifty dollars a day, at the end of the week you made three hundred bucks.
0: According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, the seafood industry in Maryland and Virginia contributed three point three nine billion dollars in sales, eight hundred and ninety million dollars in income, and almost thirty four thousand jobs to the local economy. Additionally, over a third of the blue crabs distributed and sold throughout the entire country annually are directly supplied by the fishermen of the Chesapeake Bay. From these statistics, it's very clear that these watermen are essential to both local and national economies, and that a fluctuation in the annual yield of fish, crabs, and oysters can have an effect on the entire country. The decreasing quantities of fish, crabs, and oysters that these watermen have been experiencing recently is due, in part, to dead zones in the Chesapeake. These dead zones in the Bay are caused by four main sources. Agricultural runoff from farmland that carries nutrients from fertilizers and animal manure. Urban and suburban runoff from developed areas that washes nutrients from fertilizers, septic systems, and other pollutants into local waterways. Wastewater treatment plants that release treated water, often still containing large amounts of nutrients, into streams and rivers. And air pollution from our cars factories, gas-powered tools, and power plants that contribute nearly 30% of the total nitrogen pollution. The Chesapeake Bay Foundation recently reported that there are now certain areas in the bay that are so low in oxygen that the aquatic life that the watermen catch and harvest can no longer survive. Marine life is dying off at rates that are becoming dangerously unsustainable for both the survival of the species as a whole and the watermen that depend on them. These dead zones are resulting in mass extinctions of dozens of species of fish and shellfish that the watermen and other small-town independent fishermen rely on to sell to local restaurants, markets, and even national seafood companies. A large portion of the chemicals and toxins contributing to the bay's dead zones come from sprawling farms far upstream on rivers that feed into the bay. As the pollutants flow downstream into the Chesapeake, The working class of the fishing towns on the bay bear the brunt of the physical, environmental, and economic damage of the pollutants and the resulting dead zones. As the Chesapeake's watermen compete with the dead zones to catch enough to support themselves during a typical fishing season, environmental groups and lobbyists are growing more and more concerned about the risk of overfishing the bay. These environmental groups are appealing to local government officials and lawmakers for action to be taken to prevent the overfishing and forced endangerment of the hundreds of species of fish, crabs, mollusks, shellfish, and various other aquatic animals that are caught, sold, and eaten every day in the areas surrounding the Chesapeake Bay. This is creating an interesting dilemma. Because these groups are often well funded and gain large amounts of attention and notoriety for an environmentally conscious cause, many of the bills that they are calling for are quickly signed into existence in Maryland and Virginia. However, These eco-friendly efforts are costing hard-working, generational watermen their jobs and livelihoods as they bear the brunt of the physical and economic impacts of this new legislature. One of the suggested methods of dealing with the overfishing of certain species is a moratorium or temporary restriction. However, this is not a perfect solution because it places strict limits on how often the watermen can go out or how much they can catch and keep or even a complete hold on all fishing for a certain period of time to allow for population regeneration in some cases. This leaves them without a job or a means to provide for themselves and their families. Faced with these difficult circumstances, these men and women are forced to find an alternative means of work and income or turn to catching other species that they do not usually pursue. This influx of fishermen competing for the same catch results in even further overfishing, and a faster depletion of species previously unaffected by these threats. Some eastern shore watermen have begun protesting the new laws meant to improve the overall health of the Chesapeake Bay and the marine life that lives in it, as they feel that many of the newly passed and proposed bills threaten their jobs, their means of financial support and income, and their very way of life. One such proposed bill would ban clam dredging in major fishing locations in the Maryland area of the bay in order to allow the native marine grass to grow and repopulate. Environmental groups argue that the more this grass can be grown, the more it can help reoxygenate the water in the Chesapeake Bay, and help reduce or eliminate dead zones. However, in doing so, it takes away large parcels of harvestable bay floor for the clamors. These clamors feel their right to harvest this public common good is being infringed upon, and have been protesting outside the Maryland State House in the capital of Annapolis. During an interview with local Maryland waterman Bob Waples, he told a news reporter, It's going to push the clamors right out of business. It's going to push them out there in deep water where they just can't work. While some watermen have attended city council meetings and joined peaceful protests outside the statehouse, many believe that won't be enough. Although local small farmers have had a strong presence protesting and lobbying regulations affecting their work, Waples believes the vast majority of watermen simply aren't willing to lose a day or multiple days of work and income by lobbying outside legislators' offices or attending protests because many of them believe it is already a lost cause.
1: If you're gonna be a successful waterman, you're gonna sacrifice enjoying life a lot to do it but it's the freedom of being your own boss and I ain't gonna lie to you, when you go and have a good harvest, you get excited, I mean you feel like you've conquered the water.
0: One problem is that the watermen, environmental groups, and lawmakers have historically not cooperated or attempted to work together on the issues affecting the Chesapeake or the watermen who live and work there, despite similar interests. In an interview with Paul Ewell, a researcher and professor at Virginia Wesleyan University, fourth-generation waterman Victor Pruitt and his wife share that the most watermen are distrustful of the EPA, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and local government, and believe that they don't have the right to interfere with their way of life. Both Pruitt and his wife agree that it should be the watermen leading the efforts, as they are the most intimately connected with the bay and its health, suggesting instead that the watermen should be included on the boards, assisting in the directing of regulations, and offering their vast store of knowledge on the subject. Watermen throughout communities around the Chesapeake acknowledge that the actions of the numerous environmental groups are well-intended and appreciate the efforts to clean up and preserve the bay that they have grown up loving, but are still upset at the way changes are being made and how they are unequally negatively affecting those closest to the bay. Commercial fisherman Larry Linton shares in an interview that he has noticed many Eastern Shore businesses, both small family operations and large corporations, going out of business as a result of strict regulations and new laws being signed. One waterman from Ewell's series of interviews retired from the industry early, sharing that he didn't take a lot of chances that the other watermen might take and was no longer comfortable working through the winter season, storms, and dangerous conditions that other younger watermen were willing to subject themselves to to make ends meet, as restrictions, regulations, and moratoriums began accumulating. This has been the case for too many former watermen in the past two decades, as thousands of men and women who have grown up on the decks of barges, by boats, dredgers, trawlers, Carolina skiffs, and dead rises on the Chesapeake Bay are left with no choice but to look elsewhere for employment, or settle for early retirement for the select few that can afford it. One thing remains true among each man and woman who has worked or works on the deck of a boat on the Chesapeake Bay. They are immensely proud of their identity as a waterman and want to see action taken to clean it up and restore it to its full health. They just disagree with the current course of action at the expense of their livelihoods.